Hear the word of the Lord from Luke 11, verses 1 through 10. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then he said to them, suppose, suppose one of you has a friend, and he goes to him at midnight and says, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread, because a friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. Then the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door's already locked. My children are with me in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him bread because he is his friend, yet because of the man's boldness, he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Amen. Thank you, Cynthia. Good morning. Have you ever been woken up at midnight? I have. Many times. It sounds like this, thud, 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 <laughs> the giddy laughter of high school students, toilet papering my house at midnight. It would happen many weekends, oftentimes led by my intern, Corey Freeze. <laughs> as they would come and have fun, toilet paper in my house. And so I learned how to respond, and I would know, and sometimes word would get out that I was going to get hit. And so I would start to get out my super soaker, <laughs> and the kids would show up and the thud, thud, thud in the middle of the night, and I would just spray them all as they ran off in laughter. It didn't seem to deter them, though. Week after week, they would come back, and I figured I had to take other measures. So I bought a paintball gun. <laughs> said, bring it on, kiddies. No, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. Awoken in the middle of the night. Startling. Bothersome. A lot of times it would be on a Saturday night just before a sermon. You guys know who you are. 
And as we look at this parable this morning, it's a story of a man who heard a thud. He was woken up at midnight, bothered, troubled, inconvenienced. And as we read the parable in the section of 11 verses 5 through 8, it's interesting as you read the story at first glance. Because as you read through, it appeared to me, and I'm sure it has appeared to you, the one inside who is supposed to be the God figure, it reads as though we are bothering God. It reads as though that we are waking God up with our petty needs and that we are frustrating Him. And so when we read the story, the question arises, why should we pray if God is asleep, if He's bothered by us? Why should we pray at all? I want you to understand something about the context of this parable. The context, it's in light of Jesus teaching his disciples, teaching you and me, followers of Jesus Christ, about prayer, about what it means to to come into relationship with the Lord through conversation, through our needs as we present them before him. And I find it interesting as you study scriptures... The only thing that the disciples ever asked for to be taught all throughout the the New Testament, the only thing the disciples asked for is, Lord, teach us to pray. They don't say, Lord, teach teach us how to do a good sermon. Lord, teach us how to study our Bible better. Lord, teach us how to do baptisms right. Lord, teach us to lead better. The only thing you will discover that the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them is, Lord, teach us to pray. Why do you think? These guys got to hang out with Jesus. And they watched him, didn't they? Every move he made, he was their rabbi. And he would go off and he would seek his father. And they saw this in his life. And as they saw this beautiful relationship, this love relationship between the Heavenly Father and the Son, Jesus, I think they're asking the question, Lord, what is it that draws you to seek the Father like you do? What is it that draws you to seek His will? What is it about this connection that you have that you go to Him in prayer? We want to understand that relationship We want to understand what it is you have with your Father because we want the same thing. Lord, teach us to pray. One of the things as you study the Scriptures, if you haven't seen this already, Jesus loved the Father and the Father loved Jesus. Loves Him this day. And one of the ministries that you'll see of Jesus, his ministry and his joy and his passion was to reveal the Father. I want you to know 
who the Heavenly Father is. I want you to understand Him like I do. John chapter 5 says this, I tell you the truth, Jesus says, the Son of Man can do nothing by Himself. He can do only what He sees His Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. For the Father loves the Son, and the Son shows Him, and He shows the Son all that He does. And so the Father is revealed through the Son. This parable, the friend at midnight, is intended to make you and and create a desire in you to want to pray. You can't miss that initial context. You can't miss that umbrella. Jesus is trying to show his disciples and teach them, I want you to learn the joy and the life and the the fullness that comes in, in communion with the Heavenly Father. It's intended to create that desire in you. When you read it initially, does it do that? Does it create that desire? And I pray this morning as we look at the text closely, it's only three verses really, as we look at the text closely, that the Lord through the power of His Spirit will move you like the disciples to long to be in the presence of the Father through prayer. He wants you to be there. You are His beloved children. The story of the friend at midnight is about the character of God. May we see his character and who he is. Let's learn from the story of our master, Jesus, this morning. It starts out like this. Suppose one of you has a friend. The phrasing is really a question. You won't find hardly anywhere where it's put this way, but it is a question. And the question starts out this way. Which of you... Which of you having a friend? It's posing a question. Which of you having a friend? The the nuance of this question is really this. Can you imagine this scenario that I'm about to give you? Can you imagine this story that I'm about to tell you about prayer? It's laid out in the same style that we, we see in Luke 14. Can you imagine a a son if he fell into a well on Sabbath? Can you imagine not not going after him and, and getting him out of the well on Sabbath? Which, of course, you're not supposed to do anything on Sabbath. But could you imagine leaving him in the well? It's phrased the same way we we see in Luke 15. Could you imagine having a hundred sheep and, and, and one strays off? Could you imagine not going after the one that has gone away, leaving the 99 behind so that you seek after the one? Can you imagine such a scenario? And so the question that Jesus is posing to his disciples and that he is presenting to you and me, can you imagine this scene where you come to one in need 
and he's asking it to a culture that's famous for hospitality in the Middle East. In the West, we could imagine not getting up. We could imagine not caring. You're bothering me. I don't have time. You're inconveniencing me. But the question is posed in such a way to a culture that is so much about hospitality that the expected answer is we couldn't even imagine such a thing. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. You can't miss this. Kenneth Bailey in his book Poet and Peasant gives us beautiful cultural insights. He says in the Middle East there there are two great values. One is hospitality like we just talked about. And the other is avoidance of shame, prevalent in the culture. In this story, the guest who comes in is not just a guest of the host, but a guest of the entire village. And when he comes in, it was expected that you would provide food, whether he's hungry or not. Those who just went into the Philippines, they know this mindset. They were given much food. And here's the other expectation. Not only will you be given much, you have to eat. That's the expectation of the one visiting. It's a culture of hospitality. And the the visitor is a guest of the whole community. The host knows that. And so he goes and he starts to prepare the meal, basically. And he goes to the one inside, the sleeper, And he calls out and says, hey, I need three loaves of bread. Well, what's he asking for? You know what he's asking for? The simplest of things. He's asking for utensils. How is it done in the Middle East? You take bread, you tear off a piece, and you dip it into the communal bowl. That's called the sop. That's what Jesus, if you remember, said to his disciples, and the one that I give this sop to, that'll be the one who will betray me. I need some utensils to take care of our guest. He's not asking a ton. The guy inside knows that the neighbor, the the visitor, is a communal guest. And so he starts his rounds, caring for the guest. He's not asking for himself. I need you to do this for me. He's asking for our guest. That's understood in the culture. And Jesus is saying, can you imagine such a scenario that is taking place? Can you imagine coming and asking for utensils to take care of our guest? And that you would receive this rejection, basically you would get some kind of lame excuse that, you know what, hey, the kids are in bed, the door is locked, I can't get up, I'm sleeping, don't bother me. Can you imagine, Jesus is saying, such a thing ever taking place? And you know what the answer would be? Oy vey! No way! It wouldn't happen! My French mother would say, C'est pas possible! It's impossible! It wouldn't happen. Do you get it? 
Jesus is talking about the character of the Father and about prayer. Could you imagine ever coming to the Father and receiving such an answer? It'd be like a child calling in the middle of the night in the emergency room and the parent saying, you know what, it's been a long day. I'll see you in the morning at the hospital. Hope everything goes okay tonight. Could you imagine such a response? No way. The parable is about prayer. It's about the character of God. It's about the God who loves us, the God who responds to us, to his children, which you and I are as followers of Jesus Christ. What is your view of the Father when you come to him in prayer? Johan van der Long, last year, he's a Dutch artist. And he was discovering about prayer, and he felt that God needed a telephone number that people could call and pray. So last year, in Sweden, he set up, he set up a phone number, actually a cell phone number. Because he wanted people to understand, and he wanted to create this idea that God is everywhere, all the time, whenever you need him. And it was exciting. Thousands and thousands of people started to get this cell phone number. It was advertised in the papers, and they were calling. The problem was, when you call the phone, it answers and says, This is the voice of God. I'm sorry I can't talk to you right now. Please leave a message. I'll try to call back. Does that leave us with the image that God is available anytime, anywhere, responding to his children? All that Johan did was connect people to a disconnected God. Is that your view of the Heavenly Father? that he's asleep, don't bother me, I don't have the time right now to respond to your petty needs? Is that how you view the loving Heavenly Father? Lord, teach us to pray. We want to understand what this relationship is like. And so Jesus responds with this parable. This is the God who calls his disciples in the beginning of chapter 11 to say, call my father, daddy, Abba. Crawl into his lap like you would with your daddy and call him Abba. That's the relationship that I want you to understand because I long to reveal my father the Father who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins and who rose again. Why? So that we could have relationship with the Father and with the Son and with the Holy Spirit. That we would be saved and now we enter into relationship with our living God who says, Call me Abba. Lord, teach us to pray. We want to understand who you are. He longs for our conversation. 
He longs that we seek his will. He longs for us to come into his presence. Can you imagine God not engaging with his children who are in need? I am the great Oz. Go away. Can you imagine such a thing? There's a key word in verse 8. The passage really hinges on this verse. And this word, the word is translated in your NIV, boldness or persistence. Because of the man's boldness or persistence, he will rise up and give you, not because you're his friend, but he will rise up and give you everything you need because of the man's boldness or persistence. The word is anidia. And in the Christian heritage, it has been translated and come to have two meanings. One is shamelessness. The other is persistence, boldness. And, and the word often is translated, as you see in your scriptures, into that boldness or persistence. But that word, persistence, boldness, it didn't even exist until the 3rd century A.D. If you were to grab some old Greek dictionary, they didn't have them back then, but if you were, in the 1st century, boldness, persistence for Anideon didn't even exist. It was always shamelessness. Always. And it was in the sense of avoidance of shame. What's one of the great cultural values of the Middle Eastern mindset. Avoidance of shame. Anidia. This is the word that is used in verse 8. Anidia. The scriptures that we have in the Western culture have put that into boldness or persistence. And you sort of understand it. Tom Manning last week gave us a beautiful insight and teaching into the persistent widow, right? She demanded justice. In light of the coming of the Lord, she cries out, I need justice. And she persists, and she persists, and she persists. And even though he's not a godly man, because of her persistence, and because he's bothering her, he gives her what she needs. And the Lord says, and how much more the one who loves you will respond to you. And so we see throughout the scriptures that persistence is good, right? The scriptures teach us to pray without ceasing. The scriptures call us to, to seek the Lord in prayer. That's good. To call upon his name. Lord, hear my voice. Those are all good things. But I don't think it's what's taking place in our text today. You see, the widow from last week's teaching is seeking an answer which we should seek from the Lord. It's appropriate to say, Lord, hear my voice. Lord, respond to my plea. Lord, give me an answer, please. And the persistent widow finally got an answer. What we see in Luke 11, as the one, the host calls out, he gets an answer right away, doesn't he? And what's the answer? No. I'm not getting up. No. That's your answer. 
And so you, you presume that the guy outside is knocking on the door and he's going to keep going after it until he changes the guy's idea inside, his mind inside, the sleeper. The teachings of Scripture show us to pursue the Lord in prayer, desiring an answer from Him. But when we finally receive an answer, is the passage teaching us we are to cajole God into changing His mind after He's given us an answer? Are we to just keep after Him until He gives us what we want? Is that what our relationship with others is about? I don't think so. Lord, teach us to pray. What is this beautiful relationship, this love relationship you have? We are his children. Call him Abba. But you better keep after it or you're not going to get what you need. Is that our spiritual life with the Father? I don't think so. Lord, teach us to pray. Once we receive an answer from the Lord, our answer should be, Thy will be done, Father. And we move on in seeking Him. If we were to turn anidia into meaning persistence in this passage, it has difficulty. Because when you look closely at the passage, here's the question. Where is persistence? Where is the action of persistence? I've read this thing a million times. I've got to be honest. I always came to this view that the guy's sitting there just pounding on the door. But you know what? It doesn't exist in the text. It doesn't. The verb actually is he calls out or he says to. He calls out. And it's put in the aorist tense. And what that means is it's a one-time action. He calls out and says, I need three loaves of bread. There's no persistence in this whole deal. He's not out there pounding on the door. He calls out one time to his friend and says, this is what I need. Daryl Johnson, who's a great theologian, he was, he was a teacher at Regent University, Regent College. And now he's a pastor in Canada. He responds to the question, which all of us should have, well, how do you end up with an idea going from shamelessness and being translated into persistence. And he says this. Number one, the Greek and Roman mind cannot get its mind around the concept of shamelessness. And the second reason is that the Greek and Roman mind cannot see how the quality of shamelessness applies to the man, the host, who's asking for the bread. They don't get it. It doesn't fit in their culture. Why would you need to be shameless when you are asking for something you need? I believe the word anidia here means shamelessness. And then the idea of avoidance of shame. And as we look at that, then you have to ask the question, well, who does anidia belong to? in this text. And when you look at the text closely in 7 and 8, and you look at all the actions, and in your outline I have kind of laid out there, all of the action is done, and the subject of all the action is from the guy inside. If he, the guy inside, will not get up and give you, he, the guy inside, the sleeper, he will, not because he is your friend, 
But because of, and the one we struggle with is because of the man's persistence, he will, the sleeper, will rise up and he will, the sleeper, give you everything that you need. The whole stanza, I believe, is about the guy inside. It's teaching us about the character of the Father. It's teaching us about who our Heavenly Father is when we come to Him in prayer. There is this quality of an ideon and shamelessness, and it applies to the one who is being asked. There's something that goes beyond friendship and love, and in this culture, it is the avoidance of shame. He will rise up because of his avoidance of shame. And he will give you everything that you need. He will rise up because he is one who honors his name. And he will give you everything he needs. The parable, I believe, is not about the one who asks. It's about the Father of Jesus Christ, God. And how he responds to his beloved children when we come to him in prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to know your character. Teach us about who you are. He is the shameless father. He is the one who has an ideon. He is the one who will act to preserve and to honor his name. The father is the one who will rise up and give you all that you need because he honors his name. I am Yahweh. Holy, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. I am. I am the God. You will be my people, beloved children. I will be your God. I am a covenant-making God. I keep my promises. I am. I will respond to my children when they are in need because I am. I will be with you always, beloved, because I am. My name is honored in the way I respond to you. Moses understood this. God was getting upset with the people of Israel, and he was again ready to just nuke them all. And Moses prays in Exodus 32. He's like, Lord, you can't do that. What will the Egyptians think of your name, which is above all names? David says, Lord... My iniquity has been cleansed. Why? Because your name is honored. In Ezekiel 36, the scriptures teach us this. God says to the house of Israel, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Israel, who had been walking away from God, he says this to Israel. It's not for your sake, O Israel, that I'm going to bring you back into the land. It's not because of you, Israel, that I'm going to bring you back into prosperity. It's not because of you. Listen, O house of Israel, I am going to do these things, and here's why. Not because of you, but for the sake of my holy name. Do you understand? The Heavenly Father will never shame his name. He won't let it be going around town that he didn't respond to the needs of his children 
That won't happen. Can you imagine such a thing? Jesus is saying. To understand who your Lord is. To understand how he loves you. To understand how he longs for you to enter into prayer. To seek his will. To lay out what you may think is a petty request. Jesus is teaching his disciples and you and me how to pray. The Father has his name that he has thrown out there. I am with you. I will give myself to all of you. And I will never dishonor that. And I think this helps us understand the rest of Luke 11. Verse 9 says, Ask, seek, knock. Why? So that you wear God down. It is, it is in the present tense. It means keep on asking, seeking. Searching out the Lord, we should. But do we do that so that we just, let's keep doing this, Lord. Hey, Lord, do you hear me this time? Respond. Is that a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father? I don't think so. Ask, seek, knock. Jesus finishes up this parable, and I think he gives us that. Ask, seek. Why? To give us assurance. When you come before your loving Heavenly Father, I want you to know, when you ask, seek, knock, you will receive. You will receive. You need to be assured, dear children, I will respond to you. Sometimes I make you be patient. Sometimes I don't give you the answer you want. But he guards your hearts and minds when we wait, doesn't he? Ask. You will receive. He has something to give to you. And verse 13 gives us that answer. What does he give? He gives us the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of God, isn't it? And it's the promise of Jesus. I must go so that my Holy Spirit will come. Paraclete, the one who is by your side always. I give to you my Spirit for your life. Ask Can you imagine asking for three loaves of bread and being told to go away? No! Can you imagine as beloved children coming to the Heavenly Father in the name of His Son, Jesus, and asking to be filled with the power and with the joy and with the life of the Holy Spirit and being told by God who promised him to you, no, you're bothering me. I must sleep. Oy vey. It would never happen. The Father will rise up so much more so than the one inside the sleeper. He will rise up and give you as much of himself as you need. What do you need from the Spirit today? What do you need from God today? What do you need for yourself and your family? What do you need for your ministry? What do you need to extend hospitality? What do you need to love your neighbor? What is it that you need to to forgive one another? Our loving Heavenly Father will rise up because of His name. And He will give you everything that you need. Lord, teach us to pray. Let's pray.
Father, you are good. And I thank you for your parable that reminds us that you are so involved in our lives and long for us to come to you in prayer. Father, crush the enemy who whispers lies that somehow we bother you, that somehow we're waking you up, somehow you're just frustrated with us. I know that is so far from your truth of how much you love us. And so, Lord, through the power of your Spirit, teach us about who you are. Lord, we want to draw near to you as Jesus did. We want to know you fuller, more fully, Father. Fill us up with your love. Thank you, Father, for teaching us to pray. Amen.